Hi, everybody. Welcome to We Do Podcast. With Megan and Luke. That's us. Guys, we just recorded, like, at least eight minutes of talking. With as panting the, as Nigel. With the mic turned off. Uh, That's so okay. We're, we're a little bit of a mess right now. It's fine. We're starting over. Yeah. I, our stories are going to get much quippier. Uh, so this week, we went to see Beyonce. What? It was that amazing. has nothing to do with wedding planning, but I think it puts us into the frame of mind to be sublime human beings in, <laughs> in life in general. We have uh, proceeded to the next level of... Consciousness. Yes. It was amazing. And we did some celeb spotting while we were there. We got super good seats, which I was really excited about. And guess who was in our row? We sat, we sat three seats away from Ingrid Michaelson and uh, Will Chase, who you might know from Nashville. He's Luke Wheeler. Uh, we got there a little bit early. There weren't a lot of people around us. And then this group came in. Bless you, Nigel. <laughs> Dog sneezes. This group came and sat right by us, and we were on the aisle, so they all went past, and I was like, oh, that's Ingrid Michaelson. Oh, that's Luke Wheeler. Oh, God, the drinking sounds. He's always so thirsty when we record. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> so we decided to be New Yorkers and not ask them to take pictures. Uh, I feel okay with the decision. I feel the more I thought about it, the more afterwards I thought it probably would have been okay. They probably would have been into it because, uh, they're both celebrities on a scale where they probably still enjoy it when people ask them because obviously they, uh, are not big enough where they can't sit with like, the among people. the unwashed <laughs> and like With clearly lots of the people around us uh didn't know where they were at all yeah my biggest uh regret was we found out later that night that nashville got picked up by cmt and so it's no longer canceled and right. i was like oh we had something to talk about with them that actually would have been a good thing to like like come to them and say and be like hey we know who you are like i'm really excited that you get to be on tv still will chase uh Nice guy in real life, even though he just, we, he like made small talk as he went by a couple times, just like going in and out of the aisle and he was a good guy. Yeah. So in other news, big week for wedding stuff, I found my wedding dress. Mm. I am 14 months away and I already have my wedding dress and I'm pretty excited about it. So you ordered this online mm-hmm. and you... It came, you tried it on, and so this is the, you said yes to it. This I said is the yes one. to this dress, and I said yes to it by myself in my own home, in front of my own mirror. So it was a very anticlimactic yes. They didn't have to jack you up with oh, a veil. That, and, I hate that term. Yeah, it, it's it was, very weird. Yeah. I mean, my my requirements were I wanted to feel pretty in it. And I wanted to feel comfortable in it, so it couldn't be, like, too heavy or, like, I don't know, like, tight. Um, and I wanted it to be affordable. So this dress was on super-duper clearance, and I was really excited about it. They had, um, they'd been sold out for a long time, but I guess someone returned one. 
and they happened to return it my size and I happened to see it and I bought it immediately and uh, it that size immediately went away and now they're all sold out completely. And so this is your second one, right? You had a you you have a backup also. I a... I have previously so my my theory or not really theory my strategy for finding a cheap dress has been to purchase ones that are possibility that are on sale and returnable mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, my one like I didn't I didn't do a great job with this one was I bought one off of eBay which obviously I can't return. So I'm trying to sell it on Craigslist at this point. But uh, I purchased a few of them and then either returned them or, like, sold them. I sold one on eBay uh, just sort of as they keep coming because I find that, like, I'm finding really good deals and I don't know if that dress is necessarily going to look good and I just kind of gamble for it. So This This is is more worth it to you than going to a store and, like, having an agent that, like, goes through the store and gets you stuff. Yeah. Because like we have such a low budget for this dress and because we have so much time. Um, and I, I know pretty much what I want it to look like. It's easy for me to buy one that I know either is resellable or is returnable and then just send it back. And they're like usually like clearance or last call or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I am probably going to rent a suit on tuxforless.com or something. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by tuxforless.com. <laughs> Tux for cheapo. Uh, so, so, yeah, what are we talking about? We wanted to uh, bring up a couple of wedding-related articles that have come out recently that uh, both of us have noticed and uh, had some takes on. Yeah, hot takes. Megan and Luke. Uh, so the first one was on Medium. I'm not sure if there was, if there's like a publication that it's in or if it's just on Medium. It was called Happy Bride, How I Dumped the Wedding Industry by Sarah Schacht. I think that's how you say it. Um, so basically it's about, uh, this woman who was very upset when she went to a, uh, a wedding expo and uh, just like going through all the different vendors and all of the like expectations they were putting out on her and uh, basically like all the different aspects of the wedding were all like super... Uh, like it's super luxury, basically super uh, expensive, and for every aspect, there's somebody there who's trying to like basically make you feel bad that you're not spending a million dollars on that specific part of it. So she then goes on to describe how basically she uh, went off the grid totally for uh, in terms of like the wedding industrial complex, and gives tips on. Uh, Basically, like, do everything a la carte, she wrote. So, uh, like, find your venue separately, do your catering separately from your venue, uh, find a place where you can do beer and alcohol separate from the catering, and, like, do everything uh, from different places. Find places that vendors and venues that don't do weddings as their normal business, and, like, basically, like, handle all the 
handle all the staffing and planning on your own, like with apps and uh, with like basically without a planner and just do it all yourself. Is that everything? Yeah. Um, I think the staffing part, she went into a lot of detail about using, um, what's the terminology for like the Uber type thing, like Uber for people, Uber for pizza, Uber for whatever, like on demand. I don't know if there's a, you mean like sharing economy? Yes, sharing economy. So like, uh, she talks a lot about like, you should get these specific types of staff people to do these specific types of things. And you can use these different apps or these different companies. And, um, she went into a lot of detail about that. That's all I have to add. What's your hot take? One second. And so the very, very end, this is the last, like, summarized part of it, is the end of it says, the last sentence, I hope that other brides and grooms can break the ball and chain of the wedding industry and take ownership of their weddings too, after all of her list of ideas. Uh, I found this article to be bullshit. (laughs) Tell me more. I thought it was incredibly condescending, and everything she said in it gave the same, put out the same feelings that she says she got from the wedding industrial complex to me. Because her, like, when she describes what she ended up doing, it was like, I found, uh, like, a houseboat to, uh, to rent for my wedding hotel. And I, like, I think she, I think her venue was, like, on a barge or something. And everything was like, we, uh, I went to TaskRabbit and uh, found somebody who I paid a little bit more to like manage other people I found on TaskRabbit, but basically she was managing, and like everything was basically do it, do the entire thing yourself, and here's how you can do it for super cheap. And so everything she listed was like I was able to bring my own, uh, I was able to do catering separately. It was just food. I was able to, because my venue was like no rules, you could do whatever because it's not for weddings. I could bring in my own food separately. I could bring in my own wine and beer. And so I only spent like five, she's, I think she wrote something like, I only spent $5,000 on, on alcohol for this and, or whatever the number was. And I felt like the whole thing was just kind of like shaming you if you did like want to use even like even if you did everything yourself and you use like one like luxury vendor because you don't want to do every goddamn thing in your wedding yourself that like you're an idiot okay a lot of feelings i um i didn't find it as condescending as you found it but i did find it really like frustratingly um like it didn't make sense to me like it uh, it honestly didn't make sense to me that like her it jived with her that, like, oh, I should rent a houseboat. That will be cheaper than renting hotel rooms, which, like, I don't know where this houseboat is, but I've been on Airbnb. I've tried to rent, like, alternative locations. It is just as expensive or way more expensive than renting a $100 hotel room in a Hampton Inn. And she did talk a lot about the staffing thing where she talked about going on TaskRabbit and finding these people and finding other people to manage them and then like putting together um, like training booklets with the layout and how everything's supposed to look and then paying the task rabbits to come to a training in advance and 
like essentially you're paying for these people so that you don't have to do the work and yet you're still doing all the work. So why are you paying them? Like it, she also mentions an app on there where you can like outsource things like writing thank you notes. And I was like, if you're trying to save money, this is the opposite of that. Writing thank you notes is something you can do yourself and not pay for it. Like it just, it seems ridiculous to me that some of these things she thinks are like money savers, like Zola, for instance, is a, um, a registry site. I'm like, how does this save you money? Any oh, yeah. registry that, site is just a registry site. That part, I think, like, once she started mentioning apps, it was just like this. And also, here are apps. Like, it didn't have anything to do with the rest of it. But I think that what she presented, the, like, this image of her wedding that she described is on the other pole of doing everything with a, like, luxury vendor. Everything in your wedding, it, you just, like pay for it to get done and it's super expensive and super glamorous and the anxiety that that induces I think she's doing the exact same thing by saying like I did everything myself I saved so much money and it still worked out great I think she's presenting something that is impossible for most people to do like most people will not do this so I have a fundamental problem with people talking about talking about saving money on their wedding and talking about, I don't know, like going into debt for their wedding. She talks a lot in this article about how she won't be bullied into going into debt. I think she's bullying the people reading the article into she, doing exactly what she did, which is basically to add another full-time job of doing all this stuff. Like everything she said is uh, an enormous amount of time and like yeah. expertise that you have to already have. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you on that. But the problem is, is that the idea of saving money means that something is a fixed cost in the first place and you're getting it for cheaper for some reason. So a wedding, the only fixed cost is the marriage certificate. Everything else is gravy. If you want to have photography, you can have photography. You can have a $500 photographer. You can have a $5,000 photographer. Having the $500 photographer doesn't mean you saved $2,500 because all photographers are $3,000 mm-hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? You're not saving money by choosing to do something that's within your budget. That's what I don't understand from people is like they assume that, uh, and I hate this so much, the statistic that people keep putting out there about how um, the average wedding these days is almost $30,000 in the United States. Guess what? If you know anything about math, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You're thinking, like, how can that be the average amount? People get married every day. Um, so they're using the mean, meaning that you could have 10 people have a $1,000 wedding, and you could have one person have a $100,000 wedding, and you're going to get, ugh, what's the mean of that? Like $45,000 is your average, something like that. That makes sense? Hot take, everybody. Averages are meaningless. So, yeah. What you want is the median. The median means the the most frequent number of weddings that cost the same amount. Also, who cares? So, if, Like, I'm gonna, I can only spend what I have. And if you choose to go into debt for your wedding, that's a choice that you can make on your own. But it really doesn't matter what, how much other people are spending on their wedding. Yeah, it doesn't impact you at all, and you're not saving anything. Like, we were choosing to spend a certain amount of money on our wedding, and that's that. Like, you're not... If we decide not to have a DJ, we're not saving $2,000 because we didn't get 
a $2,000 DJ. We just decided not to do that. Like, I don't understand what, like, if you, if you said the average price of a car is $30,000, that's just a meaning, that's meaningless. Like, I don't, like, that includes, you know, BMWs, vans, sports cars, like all these other kind of, all these other kind of, like, super luxury cars. Like, all of these things that I would never consider in the first place. So why am I, like, using that in my calculations? Yeah, exactly. So that got me really frustrated where she talked about saving money. Like, she made some choices that I would not have made. In this article, she talks about how she went with uh, a restaurant that, like, dropped off catering. And she describes it as fast casual. It's not Chipotle, but it sounds a lot like Chipotle. And... I mean, that is certainly not a choice that I would make. But she spent very little money on it. To feed 100 people, it was like 10 bucks a a person. Right. She did essentially like business lunch catering. Yeah. So like, that's fine. That's a choice that she decided to make. But she didn't save $10,000 because she didn't do a plated sit-down dinner. That's a choice that she made. And just tonally, it feels like... She's she's, judging you? She's saying, if you don't also do this, like, you're a bad person. Well, it's, it's very clear in the wedding industry, I feel, that people have a specific set of values that maybe they don't recognize that other people don't share. So, like, the people on Say Yes to the Dress, when they talk about how the dress is for the most important day of your life, and, you know, sometimes it's so sad when money is an object and, like, is in the way of someone getting their dream dress. Not everybody values that. I certainly don't value that. This woman clearly values saving money over anything else, and that, like, gives her... Uh, a sense of power and ownership over her life. And that's fine, but not everybody values that. I value having a life. As Susie Orman <laughs> says, money should make you feel powerful. Yeah, Susie. Susie should write a wedding book. I, I would read that in a heartbeat. Money is for you to live your life. Yeah. So it frustrated Choosing... me a lot because she she made choices and talked about them in this article about where she outsourced stuff that she didn't want to do, such as serving the food at her wedding. She didn't want her friends to do that, and so she paid people to do that, which not everybody would necessarily do if they want to save money, but she doesn't own up to that. Those are the say, kind of choices that you can help people. That's that's the article. That's yeah. what you can help people understand is where they should weight the spending versus saving. Yeah. So you can have it in a backyard and save on the venue rental fee if it's makes more sense for you to do that or you can pay the venue rental fee and then decide not to have dessert or no alcohol you know what i mean like everybody has to make these choices for themselves and they shouldn't be uh like pushed into a corner because one person says it's the right way to do it terrible that's Uh, my that's my negative hot takes didn't like this one let's talk about an article that seems negative but i thought was very positive um recently there was an article in the New York Times. It was called, let me pull it up. Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. Yeah. On uh, It was in the New York Times, May 28th. It's one of the most emailed articles. By, how do you say that? Alain de Botton? I don't know, it's French. Great. I took Spanish. <laughs> okay, so this article was about, um, it was kind of like an existential, uh, meandering, wandering thought bubble. That this guy was doing about why you are probably going to marry the wrong person, but that's okay. And about the state of marriage uh, nowadays and why we get married and why it's important to kind of think about 
partnering up. So I have a million quotes that I saved on this one. Uh, I'm going to read a, a few of them. He talks initially about um, how marriage previous to like the 20th century was all about reason. It was about, you know, making alliances between families or having someone whose family owns a plot of lands, marry someone who needs that plot of lands, you know, having a, a daughter in the house to take care of elderly parents, etc. Um, and how that didn't work. And so he says, the marriage of reason was not, in hindsight, reasonable at all. It was often expedient, narrow-minded, snobbish, and exploitative. That is why what has replaced it, the marriage of feeling, has largely been spared from the need to account for itself. What matters in the marriage of feeling is that two people are drawn to each other by an overwhelming instinct and know in their hearts that it is right. The prestige of instinct is the traumatized reaction against too many centuries of unreasonable reason. So he talks then about how nowadays we get married for love, even though that the person that we are isn't necessarily right for us and how we're trying to get back to feeling all of these feelings of love that we either got as a child and want to recreate or we didn't get as a child and we want to receive. And he talks about how the love most of us will have tasted early on was often confused with other more destructive dynamics. Feelings of wanting to help an adult who is out of control, of being deprived of a parent's warmth, or scared of his anger, or of not feeling secure enough to communicate our wishes. How logical, then, that we, win that we should, as grown-ups, find ourselves rejecting certain candidates for marriage, not because they are wrong, but because they are too right, too balanced, mature, understanding, and reliable, given that in our hearts such, such rightness feels foreign. We marry the wrong people because we don't associate being loved with feeling happy. So, essentially, after that, he comes to diagnose us with the most important thing about marriage and the person that you choose to marry is not that uh, you're overwhelmingly in love with them or that you're super compatible, but rather that uh, they are sort of the best person to grow with. They don't necessarily need to like everything that you like or do everything that you do, but you can disagree with them respectfully. And you'll be able to kind of grow through the years and deal with all of the inevitable difficulties in learning about each other and being disappointed by each other and still make it through because it's okay in the end because you'll be able to disagree with one another. That is not what I got out of this. What? <laughs> what did you get out of it? Uh, also, hot take, I hated this one too. What? I loved this one. Uh, so what I got out of it was... In the end, he is saying, the person who's best suited to us is not the person who shares our every taste, like he said, but the person who can, he or she doesn't exist, but the person who can negotiate differences in taste intelligently, the person who is good at disagreement, rather than some notional idea of perfect compliment, complementarity. complementarity. It is the capacity to, to tolerate differences with generosity to, that is the true marker of the, quote, not overly wrong end quote, person. Compatibility is an achievement of love. It must not be its precondition. Uh, reading the entire article, to me, that was not the thrust of it. Like, that, I think seeing what you got out of it and seeing, like, structurally how he wrote it, that is what he tried to get at. But I found it to be 
just like uh, on the whole, or the ma- the majority takeaway is just that hell is other people, <laughs> and that uh, nobody is right for anybody, and basically like choosing a person to get married is just a failure that you have to accept because nobody has ever succeeded. What? I didn't get that at all. That's what I got out of it, and I found it to be, I was going to say, like, when we were planning on doing this, uh, the take that I came in with was, this is uh, an essay on postmodernism that I would give an incomplete, because it is not finished. What? I think that the philosophy that he puts forth in here, that basically love doesn't exist, and compatibility doesn't exist, uh, is... Uh, I don't think he did enough of the uh, second half of postmodernism, which is after you like after you lay out that there's no inherent meaning in the world, the other side of postmodernism is therefore you create the world because you are putting out your perception and your value system on everything that has no inherent value. So that whatever you're putting out there is like you're making the decision. So everything has value. I, and I don't think he did that part at all, where he, he doesn't come in and say, like, because of, uh, because of all this, like, the decision, the decision you make is beautiful. The, I don't think he was saying love doesn't exist and compatibility doesn't exist. I think he's talking about the reasons people get married. The reasons people got married back, back in the day were practical. That didn't work. The reasons people get married today or in the recent past, is, is because of passion and love and compatibility, which is not uh, permanent. Those aren't permanent states. They aren't, like, a, a part of your being. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are uh, committing to someone for a lifetime because of how you feel right now. And so, you're saying you, you promise to feel that way forever, which is not a promise that many people can keep. And compatibility is based on your likes and dislikes and your current behavior, which is not static either. So what he's saying is that there must be a third way forward. There must be something else that we can use as a judge of character or a way to determine if this is a lasting, meaningful relationship that I want to pursue. So this is an argument for what I thought of when I read Gone Girl, which is that... uh, Gone Girl and this article, the way that you're saying it, is an argument for, uh, as part of getting a marriage license, mandatory psychiatric testing. No. Okay, I'm going to read you one of the initial quotes at the beginning of the article, and this is the quote that I use when I put it on Facebook. Marriage ends up as a hopeful, generous, infinitely kind gamble taken by two people who don't know yet who they are or who the other might be binding themselves to a future they cannot conceive of and have carefully avoided investigating. That's a positive, I think. It's not necessarily a... But I don't think it comes back to that. I don't think there's enough about the idea of... So you're, like, it's... In the modern day, it's two people choosing to be together and that the work that you put into that is... Like, he says it's determined by stuff that are not predictors of whether you will have a good marriage. Like, he's saying love is not a good predictor of whether you will have a good marriage. And I don't think there's enough in there at the end of 
what are good predictors of what would be a good marriage. Because basically you're saying like, it should be that you demonstrate with each other that you have the ability to stay together and support each other through a road of trials, basically. And that you know from accomplish something or get through something together that shows through that experience that you have the machinery to emerge from unknowable circumstances that happen in the future. And I don't think, I don't think there's enough of that in there. Because that's the part that I would have really liked to read. Okay. I get what you're saying. And I agree that there should be more sort of ways forward. I'm going to give you some homework for our next episode because we're running out of time. Uh, there's a website. Called- I got more to say. Oh, my gosh. When you talk about all the friends that we have and they like everyone that we, I mean, it's obviously it's biased by like all of our friends are of a certain, uh, you know, East Coast bias, class bias, uh, blah, blah, blah. But like all of us that are getting married in a relatively similar amount of time, uh, a lot of us have known each other for like over like minimum three, four years have lived together for minimum, like, one and a half years. And, like, you and I specifically have way higher numbers than that. We've, you and I, like, traveled the world together. We've gone on, like, tons of of trips where we ended up, like, almost getting stuck places and, like, not being able to make it home. Almost dying. Almost dying. What what point are you getting to? Simultaneously getting sick. The point I'm making is that we we have gone through a lot of a lot of unpredictable stuff, and I think that we have the track record where we've like had to use some of this machinery. Where when we're pissed as hell at each other, we're still able to uh, function. We're still able to pull each other up. We're still able to prop each other up maybe, when we need to get through stuff. Maybe we can disagree. Maybe it's because we were able to disagree generously. He said that like one time. Like he didn't. He didn't describe this. <laughs> okay, okay. Like I thought. I thought basically. I thought this article was just trolling people. Oh man. Okay. Well, I want you to read this website. It's called Before I Do dot org. It's a very long term research study about um, premarital indicators for a happy marriage, and they come to some really interesting conclusions. Uh, it's really, I think it's really up your alley. So I want you to read it and then we can come back and talk about it. Cause these do like provide very concrete things that you can do now. And even if you sort of have, I mean, you're already past some of those things. Cause some of them are like sleeping together before marriage or living together before marriage or whatever. Even if you are sort of at risk for not having a happy marriage, they talk about things that you can do to improve your chances. So that might be useful for you. We had a we had a long distance relationship for like three years. You lived in Africa three for and a half years. You lived in Africa for your semester abroad. We didn't see each other for seven months. I agree. I we've gone through a lot of stuff. I don't think it's. I, I mean, I don't think it's weird coming from what I said before uh, glibly about mandatory psychiatric testing, which would have been which would have really worked out for the guy in Gone Girl. Uh, <laughs> Uh, footnote about Gone Girl, it should be called Two People That Never Should Have Been Allowed to Marry Anybody. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's an unreasonable thing as, like, part of marriage counseling that they, like, make you 
do things like part of it, yeah, we should if do like, physical challenges. If part of marriage counseling is like you have to like bear grills for a week. Yeah, like I, I don't think that's I don't think that's weird. I don't I don't think you should that that's the kind of stuff that can show you what you're made of. You know, together. Yeah, you should at least have to do a high ropes course at the very bare minimum. And like, just like a lot of weird stuff, like it, not necessarily you, you're both out, you have to survive outdoors on just the other person and your wits, but yeah. like, you should, you should do the, I love Lucy episode where they switch roles, switching roles, uh, doing prisoner's dilemma. Like, are you going to turn the other person in for whatever? Like you have to come up with stakes that mm -hmm. are practical, but Ooh, what, we should like start a marriage counseling business. That's essentially just like a game show. I don't. I don't think these are Unreasonable. jokes. Like I think. It, I think, it's I think funny. it makes. It's a funny idea. Yes, but I think it it would be useful for a lot of people who like the first like the article talks about are making the decision to get married based on things that are not good predictors for whether they will live a happy life together with this person. Mm -hmm. You know what show I really liked? This is irrelevant. I promise. Uh, do you remember the? Uh, newlywed show it was on like during a summer not the newlywed game but they all lived in a house together it was on ABC over the summer called here come the newlyweds what you still remember that of course I remember that show I remember I remember playing some of those games with you like we were uh, we were um, dating long distance and so over the summer I was watching the show and Luke would watch it and we would like play the games live like as we both watched it that show is maybe like maybe people should have to go and like do that show. For I their... I thought it was very. There's a lot of stuff in there that I think is very useful, except for the the one where the women had to touch all the butts and figure out which one was the their husband's butt. You remember that one? Yeah, no body stuff. Yeah, no body stuff. But there was one where they were like they had to make decisions about uh, circumcise or don't circumcise. Like, are your kids going to be raised in a specific religion? And they would like write it down and then show them at the same time. People were not on the same page. Mm -hmm. And we're like, you got married already. You didn't have these discussions. Right. And there's a lot of stuff that it depends on what, uh, what kind of person you are, what kind of stuff you do. But uh, from like a performance comedy type background, I can, I can tell from doing, watching somebody do improv for like two minutes, I can tell whether I will, would like them as a friend or not. I'm terrible at improv. That's not relevant, really. Like, it doesn't matter if, if you're, you're good. if you're good what at you scene work. Uh, whether you are listening to the other people, whether you support what they're saying, whether the stuff you bring in is based on the scene, or whether it's based on you trying to do your own jokes. Yeah, you like come in with like preset jokes that you're ready to tell. If you're, I I just watched. Uh, something with Keegan-Michael Key in it from Key and Peele talking about. Uh, so he was saying like he was designing this whole scene where he was like just trying to like explain improv and like improv is about who, what, where. And uh, it's easy to get into a scene and like get that look where you like you lock eyes with someone and you're like, I don't know where we are. And then they give you the look back and they're like, I don't know where we are either. <laughs> and you just kind of like go with it and you just kind of like you throw something out. The other person throws something out. And then somebody comes in and like, then like that person is suddenly a dinosaur and they're like <laughs> coming in and like doing all this crazy shit that like is only, is just to like get a laugh because that night Lauren Michaels is in the audience and they're like trying to do something. Yeah. Be, like to put the noticed. spotlight on them, yeah. and, which doesn't make any sense. And like just 
uh, hangs everybody else out to dry. Yeah. Uh, like, that can be really funny, but is telling about what your worldview is, what, what your personality is, what you do under stress. And, uh, like, you'll have a better example for whatever your life is like. If you really like animals, maybe it's about how people treat animals or... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, these are the kind of things that people should be really, like, doing and contemplating when they're getting ready to, like you said, basically make a leap of faith into a state of existence that they've never been in before. Like, I, I uh, obviously, we're talking about this as, like, getting married for the first time. Yeah. And, like, there's no way for you to know what being married is going to be like for certain because you've just never done it. Yeah. You've never lived your life that way. As someone who is like spiritual slash religious, it's interesting to me people who are like staunch atheists who like take the leap of faith into marriage because you're like, this is what like having faith is like. I had to like explain to someone like why I was still spiritual and religious after having like gone through, uh, you know, lots of intensive education. I studied religion. So like, I know a lot of the historical context and like, you know, like guys wrote the Bible, like real people wrote that stuff down. It's not like it sailed down from heaven. So I'd explain to someone why it is that I still believe in this stuff. I'm like, faith is just like a thing. And people who have to have that explained, I'm just surprised that like they are able to take that leap. I am not uh, religious. I am becoming more spiritual these days, but uh, I very much see this as a re like religious experience. To decide to get married, basically, you have to believe in it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like you have to, you have to think like I don't know what this is gonna be, but I'm gonna trust that it's gonna turn out okay. And that that trust is like the basis of all of it. Because you're essentially, like, handing off a piece of yourself legally. You're handing off, like, everything that you've worked for thus far. And then identity-wise, like, sometimes you're handing off your last name or your children or your future children or there's a whole Just lot years, of baggage. years of your life. Yeah. Emotions and hopes and dreams. Damn, this has been sort of a downer. I don't think so. You were real. You were real fired up. This is the episode that I'm gonna like share around because I have the most. I have the most out there to say. You have a lot to say. I have a lot to say, and I think that all of this stuff is just like I had big reactions to these articles because I think that they don't go far enough. I think <laughs> there's more to explain to people. I think there's like deeper thought to have, and I think that, like I'm saying about the machinery like you have to have the right machinery and i think that that's a really worthwhile conversation and i'm like excited that this these two articles sort of like bring bring stuff up that then is like the next level that we want to talk about even though i felt that they were cheating me by not talking about it <laughs> okay. well we went through we went through a lot of stuff yep i really enjoyed that one I so, hope that you guys did too. I hope you guys have some thoughts. I, we'll put these articles in the show notes. I'll also put that website beforeido.org in the show notes so you guys can read it. Send us your thoughts. We are at wedopodcast at gmail.com. 
We're also on all of the podcasting apps. If you use us on iTunes, I would love it if you could leave us a review, rate us, tell us what you want to hear about next. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you got you got completely different stuff out of this, so well, it's that, totally we're fine. Two completely different people. If so. you if you guys listening had uh, others like a third or a fourth Reaction? takeaway that you got out of.